0: Hello, and welcome to FDI's cybersecurity podcast series, The Expert Briefing. My name is Adriana Villa-Senior, and I'm a senior director within FDI Consulting Strategic Communications Practice. I'm based in New York, and I specialize in crisis communications, including those stemming from cyber incidents. Throughout this podcast series, our experts discuss the latest issues and trends impacting the world of cybersecurity. And today, we'll be talking about the latest iteration of the New York Department of Financial Services Part 500 Cybersecurity Rules, more commonly known as NYDFS Part 500. For this episode, I'm thrilled to be joined by our external guest from Debo Bois and Plimpton, Eris Lieberman, and my colleague from the FDI Consulting Cybersecurity Practice, Todd Renner. I'll let my guests introduce themselves.
1: Hi, thank you very much for having me. So this is Ayres Lieberman. I'm a litigation partner at Devovois and Plimpton and member of the firm's Data Strategy and Security Group. I'm delighted to be here working with old friends from the Department of Justice who are in this group with me. Prior to being here, I spent 10 years at the Department of Justice prosecuting cybercrime. and the U.S. Attorney's Office in New Jersey. Had a number of wonderful cases thanks to the amazing work of the FBI and the United States Secret Service and relevant to our discussion about New York DFS, got to work with Justin Herring, who's now head of the New York DFS cyber section, but was also from the U.S. Attorney's Office in New Jersey. Between the U.S. Attorney's Office in New Jersey and and my role here, I also served in-house at Prudential Financial, where I was Chief Counsel for Cybersecurity and Privacy, and led a team of lawyers, as well as a team of 22 incident response and threat intelligence professionals around the world. During that process in 2017, we sat down and talked with the New York DFS about their first regulation and happy to have helped shape it from a prescriptive to a risk-based regulation. And I also was nominated and served on the New York State Cyber Advisory Board, talking about policy and cyber in the state of New York. So really enjoyed that time as well. Again, delighted to be here.
2: Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to this podcast. My name is Todd Renner. I'm a senior managing director based in Atlanta as part of our cybersecurity group here at FTI Consulting. I have more than 25 years of leading complex global investigations from cyber intrusion response through crisis management, and now helping to provide strategic leadership for mitigating emerging business risks, really capitalizing on using my experience both internationally and through over 20 years with the FBI to help companies through some of their most challenging times. At FTI Consulting, I advise clients on cybersecurity topics, including digital assets, which wraps in NYDFS and bit license work, through consent orders and monitorships, and then more traditional insider threats and complex investigations that are stemming from geopolitical issues and and cyber criminals.
0: I can't think of better guests, quite frankly, to have this discussion. And I'm looking forward to hearing about your experiences around the amendments that the NYDFS will have to our beloved financial services industry. Myself, I spent over a decade working for financial services technology and payment firms, most recently with the Financial Services Information Sharing and Analysis Center, better known as FSISAC, where we discussed the latest cyber threats facing the sector and how regulatory regimes were evolving to address them. So today we have the unique opportunity to hear about NYDFS from a legal, technical, and communications perspective. So let's kick the conversation off and give our listeners some background. Todd, for anyone who might not be familiar with the amendments to NYDFS Part 500, can you give us a quick summary? Very high level.
2: Absolutely. I'll start out at NYDFS Part 500 at a high level which essentially establishes a cybersecurity requirements for financial services company. It is referred to, as you mentioned, the cybersecurity regulation or or just part 500. It's been described as first in the nation, even though it's no longer new. And in my opinion, NYDFS is ahead of the game. Other agencies are seeing what they're doing for these regulations and for these cybersecurity basic requirements. And I look at it from the cybersecurity lens. So the various parts of NYDFS that includes guidance for how CISOs should be working and pen testing and third parties and uh, multi-factor authentication, which to this day, we still talk about with companies that some companies are struggling with this, these basics of cybersecurity. We see that coming out in the near future, SEC and other regulators are really following suit, whether specifically around Part 500 or very similar type regulations that risk should be informing cybersecurity programs. And, and this is really the crux of what NYDFS is doing, establishing the cybersecurity requirements for financial services companies.
0: Thank you, Todd. Eris, can you tell us about the overarching legal implications of these rules and when do you think they'll become official?
1: Yeah. So uh, let me start with the last part. It's unclear when they'll be official. I know that New York DFS received a tremendous amount of comments. And to give them a, a ton of credit, they had a pre-proposal period. They ingested some of those. They put out a new proposal. Uh, I think they really are working through those. I can't imagine it's going to be any time before April or May. And, and of course, in April, we're also expecting the SEC cybersecurity regulations. So it should be a very busy a spring in the cyber regulatory field. From a legal perspective, uh, I'll start by saying that Justin Herring, again, head of the New York DFS cyber, former prosecutor, he has said repeatedly that the risk assessments that they receive have been cookie cutter. That you could take the name of one company that's sitting on top of one of these risk assessments, replace the name of another company and they would give you the same risk assessment, which of course is just not a real risk assessment. A real risk assessment should be a big dive into the actual controls, and then it should be a map of those as controls to the regulation, and you might as well map it to other financial services regulations. Aside from that, there are a lot of legal implications in terms of the role in governance here. There's a lot of escalation out of the board. Some might argue that we're moving the board from supervisor or oversight to management, but that's where the regulation currently stands. So, working through that governance is going to be a big function for the CISO and legal teams. The notifications are certainly going to be much more onerous. There's notifications for material events, which there has always been, but now there's additional notifications for third party events and for ransomware events and for events relating to privileged accounts. So, with all of these additional notification requirements, that question of escalation is going to be very, very important for companies to work through. So I think that that is really high on the list. And then finally, I would say documentation. Companies have always had strict documentation requirements. Now you're adding it, and DFS added it for affiliate cyber programs. So having an affiliate create that documentation puts a lot of stress on your third-party risk management program.
0: Thank you, Erez. Fascinating. I would be remiss not to talk about how communications requirements are now very clearly in- included in these changes. As some of you may know, NYDFS is mandating the inclusion of a cyber crisis communication plan that clearly states how the firm will communicate with stakeholders in the event of an emergency or disruption stemming from a cyber incident. And it is also requesting that these plans are tested every year at a minimum, And they want to include senior officers and the highest ranking executive in this, what we call exercises. And why the focus on communications? Because it's so hyper-connected and interdependent that even if you're technically strong and able to overcome disruptions, but your communications to the market are sending mixed signals, you will send an alarm that can result in systemic risk, which has another set of ramifications for the financial system at large. It is critical that you have an proactive approach to cyber crisis communications. For instance, Eris was talking about escalation protocols. Those decisions should not be made when you have an incident already in place. Those decisions need to be very well thought out because at the time of a crisis, it's not the time to decide who is going to talk to the employees, when and how much will be explained to them. For instance, we just saw this lockbit hack to a trading system, and it created a ripple effect in the market. There was an evident lack of control and external communications, not just giving the threat actor extortion leverage, which could have resulted in the payment of the ransom, but it also created significant reputational risks to other financial stakeholders. And make no mistake, a cyber crisis communication plan in the financial sector is not holding statements. Those are just statements, and they can survive 24 hours at best. It has to be a holistic view that ensures you are incorporating financial stakeholders so that they're not publicly deemed as impacted and creating systemic risk when it wasn't necessary. So based on the background, it's clear that the proposed Part 500 rules are much stricter than previous NYDFs. Cybersecurity regs. What aspect do you think will be the biggest challenge for organizations to comply with?
1: Sure. So let me start by one of the more technical elements, which is asset inventory. The DFS has identified, and Justin Herring spoke about this a couple of years ago in a conference, and said that good cybersecurity requires an understanding of what you have and what your assets are. But it is really difficult to develop an asset inventory, especially one that includes all of your assets and cloud assets. It's a tremendous undertaking. I think it's going to be long. They extended the amount of time in order to do that. I still think it's going to be very difficult to do it in a year or two, especially since their definition of an asset inventory includes data classification. And typically, you'd build out your data classification and then in a serial fashion, you might build out your asset inventory. These are really big work streams. Companies should be starting that now, uh, even before the regulation goes into effect, because it is intelligent and cybersecurity. Just briefly, I would mention two other things. The questions around notification and materiality are really big, and they're going to come in with the SEC's questions on materiality. We're working with a ton of companies before either of these regs go into effect to come up with a matrix around what is material for their companies, what kind of incident could create that how do you factor in the operational, reputational, legal, all the different possible elements that could bring to a material event? And how do you therefore know when it's material, escalate it, and then disclose it based on both New York's requirements and the SEC? I think that's a very big undertaking that companies are taking part in. And finally, how do you get the board involved? Board oversight, to the extent that both New York and the SEC are requiring, I think is going to be difficult. They're they're looking at board expertise as well. And so if you don't have that expertise, you to be advised by an expert but if you don't and you got to build that in that cadence that training so that they can provide sufficient oversight i really hope the regulations keep it in the oversight as opposed to the management role there's a role for management and a role for boards but even for that oversight it's good to have that training
0: and something that the oversight has historically caused in organizations is you have to kind of redesign the reporting lines, the organizational structure, so that you can actually be compliant and those accountabilities are reflected within reporting lines. And depending on the organization, its maturity and its sophistication, at times you see the CISO sitting multiple layers below the C-suite. And that in itself presents multiple challenges to your point, right? The materiality. If you are not well connected to those who are tasked with determining the materiality of an event like this, and the CISO cannot interface on a frequent and mature basis with this C suite executives, it's going to be hard to make it happen, right? So that's talking about morphing the way you have the CISO sitting within your own organization. And in a way, it can also become a vicious cycle because then the CISO is not really equipped to articulate cyber risks in business terms. And that in itself also creates these gaps, right? Where uh, cyber risk is only discovered when you already have an incident and at times a material incident. Todd, what are your thoughts on all of this?
2: Yeah, it's interesting that the question is phrased as it is stricter than, than normal regulation or it's gonna be a big challenge for organizations and while I think both are true and accurate, we work with companies from the assessment phase when everything is going well, all the way through their worst day when they have not been through this sort of crisis, which is really a bet your business type of crisis sometimes. And I have seen that this, while stricter and bigger challenges, they might provide opportunities as well. I've seen where CISOs and CIOs and CFOs use this as a voice and that that hindrance will help fund new projects and get new role job roles in a company or help get new uh, equipment. So in my view, that increased accountability is a good thing. It will help customers. It'll help IT groups. It helps make a more secure environment, especially for the financial services sector. Transparency is increasing. I do see that as a challenge for companies. NYDFS so their credit, publishes consent orders online for all the companies. And historically, old school way of thinking about cyber is, well, our reputation is going to be damaged and let's not talk to anyone or seek help. Let's just keep it in-house. We're seeing from NYDFS, there could be hefty fines associated with not doing this, and it is going to make it out. So let's do it right to begin with. Let's use this as an opportunity. And the last thing I'll talk about as far as that that challenge is I do think that the new reporting requirements, federal requirements, mixed with possible conflicting state or international requirements will cause a challenge. I mean, what is material? When did the clock actually start? I think is materiality matrix is a great idea. It's going to help companies really calculate what I need to do and when. But if you start out from not looking at this as a, as a stricter regulation or a big challenge and use the guidance as it is, I think it's a a great opportunity for companies to mature their cyber footprint and ultimately mature as a business. I mean, cyber risk is business risk.
0: Could not agree more. So it is clear that financial services firms need to start preparing now. What advice would you give them? Todd?
2: Yeah, not just a check the box type of exercise. Let's have a plan. Let's have a plan together. Get external help immediately. If you're not doing it and you don't feel like you're prepared, have that plan for who you are going to call? Who are your key stakeholders when something goes sideways or when you're planning for something to go sideways? We need to involve our legal teams like eras We need to have that team on board from the beginning because as a cyber person, we could come up with the best laid cyber plans of who we're going to tell, how we're going to share our forensics, who we're going to share logs with. If we don't have our legal team involved, all of that could crumble immediately. So Involve your legal team. Involve your, your CFO. Make sure that the people that are controlling the purse strings are involved in this from the very beginning. So you have buy-in. that top-down leadership, baking and security that these regulations are going to require is, is critical. Involve your third-party vendors. Develop that relationship ahead of time. Build that trust, the relationship. Use the time when something's not going sideways because it's going to happen. And Since NYDFS expects your cybersecurity program to be based on an entity's risk assessment, if you don't have everyone involved and all the key stakeholders from the beginning, you aren't going to know what that entire risk assessment is. And it is worth you taking the time to do this. The last piece I'll leave is industry groups. Use FSISAC. Use the groups that are out there that are sharing and learning from each other, use these new requirements as a driver for your minimum acceptable policies. Um, This should be part of your defense in depth strategy for your company, not just the IT shop, not
1: just the CISO for the entire
2: company could use something like this.
1: Yeah, so I, I can't agree more with Todd on risk assessments. I think they are the most critical element. And let me just tell you how I did it uh, when I was in-house and, and how I do it now. I hired my outside counsel, and I had them hire a firm that would do an assessment. The firm does an assessment, provides technical controls, and the law firm, and of course, it can be any good law firm, right? And so that law firm then takes these technical controls and maps them against the regulation. And while you're at it, you're not going to map them just against the New York Department of Financial Services. You're going map them against other regulations and and lawsuits and other things that have come out through enforcement actions. And you're going to get a double-headed report. One will say, where do these controls and governance and risk and technology map against the regulations? And where are you in terms of your own technical controls? And what do we all need to focus on? What's the roadmap to do that? And that is what you're going to present, both as your plan for cybersecurity, and you're going to present it to the executive management and the board of directors. There is a a great free tool out there that the Cyber Risk Institute has put out called the Cyber Risk Profile, now just called The Profile. It's free, F-R-E-E, free. You can uh, sit down with your information security team, your compliance team, your risk team, go through that. I highly recommend that. I still love using external support to have that independence, and to have the benchmarking, which you simply can't do yourself every year, every couple of years, something along that cadence in order to get that assessment. But use that report because it's really free from Cyber Risk Institute and is really, really helpful. The other thing, and New York DFS now calls for it, at least in the current draft, is tabletop exercises. And they call for it together with the senior most management in the company. Justin Herring, in a release a couple of years ago, said that the CEO should not be testing the incident response plan for the first time during an incident. Right, you got to test it in advance of that, and tabletop exercises should be really bespoke. It should not be something that comes off the shelf and you plug in a different name of a company. You sit down with the company and you figure out what the most valuable assets are, where the networks are that are connected, how you create a tabletop that is then really, really geared towards something. Thing. so the people in the room when they hear that and they say, oh wow yeah if that party that client of mine gets impacted by this breach and I need to make a public disclosure and I need to tell New York DFS and I need to tell clients that's a significant event and I need to figure out how to work on that because you don't want to do that on the fly. And so practicing all that together I think will create a really strong culture for, for both preparedness and response and would be things that I would do to get the companies ready.
0: Could not agree more and you touch on two things the benchmark there is no way in-house you get a holistic view of what's the goal standard in the market what others are struggling with if you don't have external help that's something we usually hear from our clients what are the best doing i want to be able to emulate the goal standard and the other thing the exercise is critical you don't usually count on your clients forwarding your email to the press. Uh, you bet they will. And that will create other types of problems.
1: Because you raise such a great point. Having a company like FTI that has done those assessments with other companies, it's not just to tell you, oh, you're not as good as you think you are. It all depends on the rater. We've certainly worked with your company and others, and the, the internal folks are too harsh on themselves and are not giving credit where credit is due. And they don't realize that they're actually further ahead in the process. But that is really where your expertise across the board and across industries, being able to provide that and then to brief that to senior management is so critical critical to provide that roadmap and to give everyone a comfort about where they stand.
2: Erez brings up some good point about the the free tools. NYDFS partners with the Global Cyber Alliance, which is a a group of really high-level experts in the field. They have free tools as well. FFIEC puts out their free cybersecurity risk for the the Federal Financial Institution's Examination Council. Those things are things that you can do to baseline on your own and then use your friends and trusted relationships in the industry to figure out how to bring that back to the board and to the executive decision makers. And then work down too with employees to make sure that everyone is bought into this framework that's going that's really intended to help people. So there's a it is a layered approach of how you could handle this and look at the, the regulation.
0: Completely agree. One thing that I think is probably top of mind of financial services firm in general is all these regulatory regimes are evolving and how are these agencies and these amendments to existing regulations are going to pan out in terms of the bigger picture, right? NYDFS, will it become the best practice across the board?
2: All right. So I, I do see, and this is back to one of the challenges, I do see that there will be some conflicting guidance coming for our global multinational companies that we work with that are they're going to get guidance in different places. If you look at a place like the UK, for instance, where they've streamlined some cybersecurity reporting, they've been through that pain of, of getting everyone in the country on board with how to deal with the national security and, and the business risk surrounding cyber, specifically with the National Cybersecurity Center there, it makes it easier but these global multinational companies are going to have to deal with that. I I do think that the standards that are coming out from NYDFS for their regulations are great for catching up with the times. NIST is not new, the the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Those cyber standards have been around since at least 2013. Um, You look at PCI and you look at CIS critical security controls, Those things have been around for a while. But while companies and the people that are really good at at their roles know to follow those or use those as baselines, I think the enforcement that NYDFS is putting out on these is really going to change the game. How other regulatory regimes follow, that is a a good question. I'm I'm not sure how that's going to shape up. But I do see the industry best practices and standards that are associated with these regulations. It's time for everyone to get caught up. It is time for companies to have the voice that they need to keep customer data
1: private and and protected. You know, it's funny, and I hate to be an American who says, oh, we're doing cyber right, but I think we are. On the cyber side, we are leading the world. Uh, On the privacy side, we're catching up. But on the cyber side, it's the world catching up to us. New York DFS and some of the other regulations coming in the United States have led the world, but there is a very fast catch-up now. I've been dealing with the Monetary Authority of Singapore, the MAS. The questions that their investigators ask following an incident are as advanced and difficult as any question coming out of any regulator I've seen. And that's not where they were just a year and a half ago, but that is most certainly where they are today. And so that's an indication of of where the world is going and how the world is indeed catching up with where we stand. I don't think that we yet have harmonization. There's been huge efforts by the financial services field to have regulatory harmonization. As a matter of fact, the Cyber Risk Institute's profile is meant to help regulators harmonize The questions and the examinations that they're using, New York DFS has adopted it, actually. So credit where credit's due. So another good reason to take a look at that. I do think that we're going to see more cyber regulations, right? So we've seen the SEC come out with two potential ones coming out in a few months here. And then I think if we turn it just a little bit to another field, what New York did with New York DFS to the cyberspace, is what Colorado is doing with a proposed law that refers to AI and the governance around AI systems for life insurance, governance, risk management, controls, documentation, and and certifications, all part of that. I think that trend in where regulators are getting into new space is not going to stop. And so we're going to all need to stay on top of that and to keep assessing programs against these new regulations. Yeah, that's a great way to describe
2: it, Er, as you said, harmonization. I mean, that's fantastic. We could... Figure out a way to harmonize what we need to do for from left of boom all the way through right of boom when it involves a cyber incident. Like, how do we get harmonized on on what material is? What do we get? How do we get harmonized on reporting requirement days for various state and federal regulations? So I think that's a great way to describe it.
0: Harmonization is something that it's needed in terms of regulatory regimes, but also at times within a multinational, they have different ways of approaching a cyber incident. So we, for instance, have clients who asked us to look at all of their incident response plans to see if they are harmonized in terms of how they would communicate When, who, what, because if you're a global multinational with operations in the main hubs, uh, financial services hubs, there is likelihood that each of them have their own flavor, if you will. And at times when everyone is so hyper-connected and interdependent, you cannot have that. You need to have one standard for your firm, and then hopefully we'll reach a point where the cyber regulations will be standardized as well. Thank you so much for this. Definitely want to wrap up with some of the key ideas here. Cyber compliance readiness, specifically in this case pertaining to NYDFS, is not only going to help navigate changes. With cyber risks and attacks increasing in frequency, in sophistication, financial services need to uphold the highest technical, legal, and communication standards in the market. There is no time for mistakes. If you don't have the technical, legal, and communications, your act together, you're going to create havoc, not just for yourself, for your financial stakeholders for your corresponding banking relationships for your brokers for the exchanges for your commercial banking clients it just touches so many things and it moves so fast you have to be cyber ready none of this should be tested the moment that you're dealing with an incident decisions need to be made before you're dealing with an incident and i think this is what nydfs par 500 represents it's a comprehensive standard to safeguard the trust in the financial system at large. And you don't wanna be the one who is putting that trust at risk. Thank you so much, gentlemen. This has been uh, such a delight and I hope that you enjoyed it as well. If you enjoyed this discussion, remember to subscribe to our podcast series so that you don't miss out on future episodes. If you'd like to find out more about what we do at FDI Cybersecurity and how we can together help you build resilient futures for your clients, please reach out to any of us or go to the FDI and Devo website. Mm